All right. I'm going to open right up. We're going to start in God's Word. Good? That's a good place to start a day. So, but I'm just, I'm going to read in Exodus 5, and I'm going to kind of be jumping around a little bit. But this is about, um, about Moses and Aaron and God's like, yeah, you're going to do this. Like, I know I haven't been around for many generations. The people haven't really seen me, but guess what? We're doing something now. Okay? So after, I'm going to start right at the beginning. It says, afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord of God of Israel says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, who is this Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take three days, journey into wilderness, to offer sacrifice to the Lord our God, so he may strike, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. So they're like, hey, like, this is coming, we'll give you a first warning, Pharaoh. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to work. The Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. The same day Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with the straw for making the bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw. And it kind of goes down and they're kind of fighting about that a little bit. And I like it in verse 19, it says, The Israelites' overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told, You are not to reduce the number of bricks required for each day, but they have to get their own straw. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they say, so these are the Israelites, May the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Okay, someone's trying to come and liberate you. You've been slaves. And who are they mad at? Are they mad at Pharaoh? No, he's the one making them do this. And they're mad at Moses and Aaron. Okay, so the Lord, I love that last verse. It says, the Lord made the Israelites obnoxious to Pharaoh. The Lord did that. We don't think that, right? We think, oh, that's Pharaoh. And the Lord's like, oh, I made, I made them obnoxious to him. So Pharaoh made them work harder. harder. We get a little bit like... Okay, I think that was Pharaoh, right? Because working harder and having to come up with this. But God said, no, I did that. And we're going to find out why God did that. Because God's a good God, right? And you think, well, you're making me work harder. That's not good. Well, we're going to find out why he did that. So, and then when you jump down to Exodus 7, it says, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart towards them. It wasn't Pharaoh getting all mad. I'm pretty sure, you know, if you ran a town or a country, if if all of this stuff was happening, these plagues, you'd probably be like, just take them and go. I can't stay, take this anymore, right? You'd be like, it's destroying our nation, you know, our livelihood, everything. So, I mean, it would have been smart for Pharaoh, Pharaoh to just be like, go. But the Lord said, Mm-mm, that's not how we're doing this. Pharaoh's probably like, I don't know you, God, but can we just change? <laughs> He's probably praying to God now. So, And I love in 19 it says, And the officers of the children of Israel saw that they were in trouble after it was said, you shall not reduce any bricks from your daily quota. Shouldn't they have already known they were in trouble? They were slaves. You kind of already are in trouble. How come now you see that you're in trouble? 
You've been living in slavery for generations. You're just figuring this out that, oh man, this is not what God has for us. Like we're in slavery. They think nothing of killing us or, or leaving us in lack. Like we're already in trouble. But they didn't see that until this is when they're like, oh, ding, you know what? We're going to have to work harder. You know, now we're in trouble. They had been in slavery so long that that was normal to them. That was normal. Each generation that came into slavery took it to a new depth, a new mindset, a belief about who they were. And by the time that Moses um, was raised up and ready to go in and lead this, they had more belief that they were slaves and they were children of God. They didn't even know who they were. They were slaves and they believed it. So I'm going to talk about the church now. Church. Mm. You guys ready? Say, my heart is ready. My ears are ready to receive. And I love Sarah. (laughs) Knew it. I knew it. Okay. Most people don't come to church because they've been to church. Right? I mean, I've walked into some churches. And guess what? There are people and they're real in there. And they do things that I wouldn't do. A lot of people don't come to church because they've been to church. So what are we going to do about that? We've spent so much time in church that we forget how to walk in the shoes of the people in our community and our lives. We spend more time in church shoes than we do in the shoes outside in the community and people and going after what God has called us to do. And we forget what it's like. We forget what it's like. Because this, I'm like talking about the church building kind of, it's like, this is kind of like a simulation. We come here, we know we're going to hear a word, we know it's comfortable. If you go outside and you're worshiping on the street and you start lifting your hands and singing out, what's going to happen? Weirdos, don't go by them. Let's cross the street, children! Let's go! It's like, do it! Had that happen to me? Um, you know, right? It's, it's, it's really safe. This is a simulation. We raise our hands. Everyone's like, oh, they're so spiritual. Look at them. They know the Lord. So good. It's easy to be kind in here, right? Everyone's got their coffee. They're happy. You don't see them in the morning with like, oh my gosh. Can you put a brush through that thing? Scary. Put your face on. My daughter came to me today. She said, you have your full face on today? Because I tell her, like, if I just do mascara or something, I said, oh, I'm, just, I'm not putting my full face on. She's like, that's weird. Like, why are you <laughs> You know, you guys are lucky. You get to see me with the full face. Oh, but it's like this simulation. It's easy to be encouraged here. It's easy to have faith here. You know, it's easy to feel the presence of God here because we're coming together and we're two or more are gathered. The Lord is there. So this is an easy place to feel that. Going out there, it's terrifying. It really can be. It can be terrifying or seem impossible. Everybody you come is saying the opposite of, like, I just learned this in church last week. I can't wait to go out. And they're just speaking exactly the opposite of what you just heard. And you're like, okay, this is, I'm just going to live in my little box here. But church is not just about you or me. It's about the ones missing. It's about the ones that haven't heard 
about Jesus and who He is and what He's done and how much He loves us. That's what it's about. Churches that forget that quickly turn into religious clubs. I went to church. Did you go to church? I went to church. Good for you. I saw what you did on Monday. Didn't help. Maybe you need to go every day. I don't know. But they become these religious clubs and they turn inward. And they become church people and they forget they're actually just people. That we're just people. There's no difference between church people and people. We are all God's creation. And He is chasing everyone. He's chasing those that don't know Him or are not close to Him just as much as He's pursuing you. It's become this, church has become this generational. I was born a Christian. My family was a Christian. We went to church every day. We've not even missed a day. I mean, okay. What does that mean? It's become the norm. We know how to say all the right things. We lift our hands. We're like, oh, pastor, that just touched my heart. So did the Israelites. You know, they, they kind of became, well, we're God's people. They could say they were God's people, but in their hearts they were slaves. They knew all the stories of what God had done. He created the earth, you know, Abraham, all of these things. They knew all of the stories of what God has done and they shared them and they shared them, but they had never had an authentic experience with the Lord. They'd went generations in a dryness. So it just became stories. I was told when I was little, the Bible's just stories, just to make you feel good. And this is at the church. I was like, then why are we wasting our time here? Hmm. But God chose them, and He is going to deliver them. But due to so many generations of it just being stories, they weren't ready. They had that slave mentality, and they could never be free with that mindset. So God's like, i got to do something big. So he sent Moses and Aaron. He's like, you guys, um, you're going to be the fall people. Everyone's going to hate you, so you're welcome. Um, luckily, God strengthened them, encouraged them, and they did awesome. So the people of Israel actually got angry when God finally moved. Can't believe that Lord wants to set us free! Can't believe he wants to provide for us, you know. They're going to make us more bricks. Why are these people coming in here and saying that they heard from the Lord and he wants to bring freedom to our lives and produce a land with milk and honey? They got mad because God said, you know what, you've been praying for me to move and now I'm doing it. You ever have that? Because you got so used to complaining that you're like, I don't know how to live outside of my complaining. And now that God is moving, I'm like, now I can't complain about this. Sometimes we want to stay in that, like, poor me, and I just love the Lord, but He's just not moving in my life. Yeah, because you don't want Him to. Because then you have to give up, you know, that hurt and that pain, and, and you have to give, you have to actually stand in your faith. Mmm. That was tough to hear from me. So, are you, are we just scared, like, to go out? Are we scared that God's gonna come into it, get out of that little box we put Him in? We're like, oh man, this is where I've kept you, Lord. And, and you know what? This is what we're used to. So we just got to, you know, tape it down, hold it down. You're not welcome out of here, you know. But it's time to move out of slavery and choose that grace and freedom and abundance. I'm a first generation Christian that knowing who Jesus is. 
that's awesome for me. How many, has anyone else in here first generation? That means, yeah. That is awesome. You are so blessed. Because you got to meet Jesus. You got to meet Jesus first. And that's really important. Um, I did go to church when I was little. I'd never heard about Jesus. I saw a man on a cross. That's it. Um, and at 15, I met him huge and I was like, what is happening? My world is different. What's going on? And I go to church and I'm like, this is nothing like you. I'm like, Jesus, what's going on? See, it's different when you're the first generation because you experience Jesus firsthand. What happens is generations down the line, second, third, fourth, twentieth, whatever, you meet the church before you meet Jesus. And you get confused of which is which because the church is not as loving, not as kind, not as forgiving, not as understanding, doesn't know how to hand grace out like Jesus does. So we get confused and we think, oh, God is, you know, God doesn't love me. You know what? How could God do this to me? He's hurting me. He's doing this to me. But you know what? That's just the church because they're learning and they're growing and they're walking out their freedom. The church is not Jesus. Did you guys know that? The church is not Jesus. It is His bride which he is preparing, which means there is a process. If there is a process, we are not finished. Okay? So when you meet the church first sometimes, it's like, there's a lot of judgment here, there's a lot of things going on. That, but when you meet Jesus first, whew. So if you feel that way towards the church, or you feel that way towards the body, you know what? Afterwards, I want you to come up and I want to pray with you because you haven't met Jesus. You haven't met Jesus. Because when you meet Him, your life is changed. And nothing people do is going to change how you see Him. Oh, that was, I feel like it's just God is just moving in here today. And so I was, just, I was just thinking, like, you know, the church, we get messy. And God's like, that's okay. They don't really have to meet you. You're just here to encourage each other, comfort, hear the word, you know. But I'm the leader. I'm the king. You know, I paid for it all. They need to have a relationship with me. Every relationship you have outside of Jesus is a bonus relationship. It is a bonus. And he just says, I want to bless you with brothers and sisters. I want to bless you with a family. But God is the Father. Jesus is the King. That's where we start. I was looking at, you know, I always think about PK kids. Those of you that go in church, you know what a PK is. Those of you that didn't, that means pastor's kid. And throughout... My life, PK kids, you know, they're the troublemakers. They're the ones drinking, smoking, sleeping around. Right? Everyone's like, oh, that's a PK's kid. Keep them far from me. You know why? Because those kids had to meet the church before they met Jesus. Those kids had to meet the church. And you know what? For those kids, you, you know, you got to think of that. Like, those kids have heard people hurt, slander, talk against their family, their livelihood. They've watched their parents toil over people and pray for people. And those same people turn on their family. And then you say, why don't they love Jesus? They don't know Jesus. They know the church. And the church is messy and they watch and they grew up in that mess. You know? Because I used to be like, they need to get that together. But then when God gave me that revelation is, they haven't got a chance to meet me. They met the church. And we love the church, you guys. When you meet Jesus first, you fall in love with the church. Because you know that they're not Jesus. But, oh man. That's why your family needs to be your first ministry. 
If you have a family, if it's just a husband and wife or you have kids or whatever, your family needs to be your first ministry. It's not the church's job to introduce your kids to Jesus. It's your job to walk so closely with Jesus and have relationship with Him that your kids are like, He is in our family and I know Him and I see Him in the building, out of the building, everywhere I go because my mom and dad walk with Him daily. That is how your kids meet the, the Jesus before they meet the church. It's so good. It's emotional. That's why I love, you guys, I love my kids. And my husband here, he he made our children and our family our first ministry. And people were astonished that our kids, years into being ministry, they're like, your kids are pastor's kids? I would never have thought that. Because they got to meet Jesus on their own. They didn't just have to do, you know, everything they do, and I'm so thankful. You guys do so much for the church. You guys love, you minister, you do, you give up time. But everything they do has been their choice to do that because they know through because of Jesus they're doing it as servants, not of servants to the Lord, not of servants to us. And when you put your family as your first ministry, that's what happens. I remember a time where a man came up to us and he said, yeah, i got to have my family at church. And he gave his child NyQuil so he could bring the child that was sick to church so they would look right. And I wanted to be like, you need a Holy Ghost slap right now. Come on, let's get in line because you need a few of them, right? But that's what it is when we got to meet the church first. Jesus is like, would you just let me take care of what I need to take care of? And so we get in these generational bondages of what it should look like, what we should look like, and it becomes a slave mentality. You know? That's what God is saying to to the Israelites. Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, you know, um, and God says, oh, I'm, you know, let my people go. And God's like, oh, Moses, I'm going to have you go to him, but he's going to say no multiple times because I'm going to be telling him that he can't let them go. Moses is like, okay, so you're telling me to go tell them that God's going to let them go, and then you're telling me that Pharaoh's going to say no, and I'm not going to actually be in any of the plagues, but they all have to live amongst this. And God, are you sure? God's like, yeah, got this. Moses like, but are you really sure? Have you met me? You know, I can't really speak. I'm kind of like this loser here. And God's like, I know what I created. Just go. So everyone hated Moses. I feel bad for Moses, kind of, you know. He was a little bit of a whiner, but at the same time, like, he had, like, everybody against him. You know, it was, like, all of the Egyptian people and also all of his own people were, like, everybody together, let's hate Moses. He's making this happen to us. That's why he went gray, you guys. That's why he went gray. They basically had Stockholm Syndrome. They'd been in slavery so long that that they actually got their provision. They thought that the Egyptian um, kingdom provided for them, took care of them, made sure that they could survive. So it's like, well, we can't leave them. They're our, they're, they're our providers. They forgot what God had done generations and generations ago, how many times he'd provide and come through and done miracle upon miracle. But they forgot that Pharaoh couldn't let them go 
Because God realized that if their mindset didn't change, wherever they went, they would be slaves. Wherever they went, they would be slaves. He needed them to have a mindset shift that was so big that they could see that he was big enough, that he was strong enough to deliver them, not just from Pharaoh, but liberate them and sustain them in their freedom. Being set free is not that big of a deal. It's easy. It's quick like that. Liberation happens in a moment. Pull down a statue, you know, overthrow a king, whatever. It's the staying free that is the difficult thing to walk out. And if you don't have the mindset of a free person, you will not stay free. That liberation part was easy. Let them go. You're not going to let them go. Plague upon plague. Down with Egypt. Got it. Open the Red Sea. Liberated. Go. Now, it took them 40 years in the desert, and the crazy thing is, is that their mindset still wouldn't change. And only Joshua in that generation was the only one from that whole generation that got to see the promised land. See, Caleb, he was awesome because Joshua was with in that old mindset, and he saw what God had done. Caleb was like, I'm just following this guy. That's right. I have a new mindset. He walked right into that new mindset. He never saw himself as a slave. When you get there and you say, God had to do that because if he just said, you're free, here's this, walk into this land, they would have went into the new land and become slaves to whoever was ruling that land because their mindset was slavery. So God said, I have to harden Pharaoh's heart. This has to be a decision. We have to break this old mindset. Otherwise, you will walk right into slavery again. And sometimes we do that. We, You know, friends, they bring us comfort. You know, they tell you you'll look nice. You know, they want to spend time with you. <laughs> Enemies create movement. Guess what? If someone's chasing you with a sword, you're running, right? Yeah. Movement! <laughs> I don't think it's like that. But, you know, when we want to complain or when we're hurting, we call a friend. So hard. I can't believe this is happening to me. Sometimes I'll do that and I'll try to call like six friends and the Lord's like, every one of them are busy. You get to talk to me and I'm like, I don't want to. You don't listen to whining. He's like, let's back it up. Start again. I'm like, oh. You ever do that when you want to try to call and call someone and complain and like everybody's busy and you're like, I know this is you, Lord. You're making sure I can't complain. You know, the enemy said to the Israelites, you know, you've been in this spot for for your fathers, 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 fathers have been here. And, you know, you're a slave. That's who you are. Look, you you got to the desert and you're still acting like a slave. You know, there's giants. It's scary. Turn back. You can't do this. And every single time that God did a miracle, they turned around and forgot a miracle. I'm pretty sure I would never forget a sea, like an ocean opening up and letting me walk through. How do you forget that? How do you be like, well, God must have not wanted us to go this way. I'm pretty sure that was a big arrow saying direction here, you know, Google Maps, right through the water, you guys. Okay? <laughs> and you, But their their mindset had been so much that even when God was showing himself, they couldn't see it because he had to change that mindset. We have to reframe our mindset you know, of those who speak against you, who block you, who make it hard for you, who harass you. It could, you know, that harsh boss, that backstabber, the people that always play the victim in your life. we got to reframe our mindset. 
Don't stop advancing just because at least you know this area. Well, at least I know how to be, you know, under someone's foot all the time. At least I know how to be on the bottom. At least I know how it works down here. No. I want the land of milk and honey. I am not dying in the desert, and you shouldn't either. That generation passed in the desert. I'm going with the Caleb's, and I'm going with the Joshua's. I'm going to a land of freedom that is provision. I am not dying in the desert. I spent my whole life as a slave. I look at the Israelites. They spent their life as a slave, and then they had to live in the desert. They never got the abundance and freedom. My trouble is my helper. (laughs) I know that sounds funny, but your trouble can be your help. David would be no one without Goliath. He would be still a little guy sitting there watching sheep. He needed Goliath so that God could be glorified so that he could be king. So start using that trouble, that discomfort, to create movement. It's a gift of momentum the Lord gave to you. Don't die in the desert just because that's what you've known. God sends agitation to push you. Pain is an indicator that something is missing or something is wrong. It pushes you forward to say, I should maybe do something about this. You know? With a baby, I always remember my kids would pinch me. That gave me the agitation to move them away from me, right? Especially on the cart. You could just push the cart and, you know, it kind of, it's an agitating thing going to move you. And that's the way we need to look at it is, you know, God's sending a little agitation to say, you're not staying here. You're not going to stay in your self-pity. You're not going to stay in your little club You're not going to stay in this pain. You're not going to stay a slave in this area. He said, I'm going to keep poking at you. You're not going to like it. And I don't care because I'm not leaving you as a slave. You are a son or daughter of the king, of the most high God. And they don't live like slaves. It's so good. God's not going to let you go. He's going to chase you. That song we sing, you know, he leaves the 99 for the one. Sometimes you're the 99 and you're like, get him, God, come on. Woo! Sometimes you're the one. He's coming, he's gaining. (laughs) And then on that time, God's chasing you, got the 99, you're like, get him, you know, and you're like, I'm tired, you know, I'm not a good runner. You guys, I run ugly, so, you know, I try not to run from God because it just looks ugly. It always looks ugly, right? (laughs) Because without changing your mindset, you will be a slave. Even if you go to new people, new places, well, I didn't like them. That's okay, because pretty soon you're not going to like the next people that you're with. Because God's saying, until you change your mindset, you may change your scenery, but nothing's changing in here. And I'm going to keep chasing you, and you're going to get tired. Because I don't grow weary. (laughs) I don't grow faint, right? So the Lord says, But you, you're getting tired. And I'm going to keep chasing you. I'm going to keep pursuing you. Because changing your scenery does not change your mindset. You can be a church hopper. Go ahead. Guess what? Within a few months, the same issues you had, you're going to have again. Unless you change your mindset. 
If you go somewhere new and you let God change your heart and your mindset, whew, what you're going to do. Amazing. Hmm. We need Jesus, not just stories of Jesus. That's what the Israelites had. They just hung on to stories and they acted like God wasn't moving anymore. Well, we heard these stories long ago. They forgot after generations. They didn't even believe. They didn't even believe God could do it. They were more worried about Pharaoh getting upset with them because they couldn't find enough straw. Probably stealing it from each other. I mean... I probably would have done that. Like, they got a whole pile over there in the night, taking it, putting it to my, you know, because they didn't have, they were like slaves. You get, what do you got to do to survive? God allows trouble in their life so they would choose Him. They would choose freedom. They would choose truth. Not just regurgitate, you know, what they had heard, but actually, um, have an authentic relationship with him. That was his goal. Pharaoh didn't do that to the Israelites, you guys. God had to break some big mindsets, some big strongholds over their life. And man, the higher the trouble, the more glory to God. If he delivers you from a hangnail, you're like, oh, that's so good. He healed my hangnail. If he drops cancer out of your body when you're standing there, like he did with Smith Wiggleworth on the stage, and the cancer literally fell off the woman in front of an entire congregation. Whew, that's a bigger testimony, isn't it? That's what God wants to do. He's saying, I got some big mindsets, some big things to brought to you know do so we got to up the level of what i'm delivering them from walking out our freedom we got to fight for it sometimes the enemy likes to come in there and be like you're not free you're not free you're not free look at you look at you look at you he's like a two-year-old no 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 why 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 that's all he says two-year-old no no everything is no you can't, you can't. You have to fight and you'd be like, you know what? You should go back down where you belong. Because this isn't yours anymore. You have no authority over me. I don't want to be known as a Christian. Everybody's a Christian. I don't want to be known as a Christian. I want to be known as a believer and lover and follower of Jesus. And they will know you're a follower when you look like Him. It's not enough for me to just be like, oh, you guys know her? She goes to church. Well, there's a lot of people who are not following Jesus who go to church. It's not about going to church. I love that you guys come to church. I like going because it does feel good when people are encouraging. It does feel good when you get a good word. It does feel good when you hear something spoken that God's already spoken to you and confirms it. It feels good, doesn't it? It's like, what has he got for me today? I may need that push. I may need into that new mindset. Something something to put my faith to. They'd lived in slavery for so long that they weren't even using their faith. They weren't even believing to be free at that time, really. They needed something to put their faith to. Well, let me send these plagues because you're not going to want this. Okay, this could be God, you guys. Never seen frogs coming out of weird spots. Uh 
could be good. Um, have you guys ever didn't know, but all this water turned to blood, so never had that happen before. Could be God talking to us. Okay, we have to put our faith to something. Let's follow that guy. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> Produce character. That's what faith does. When we put our faith to something and we start saying, okay, this looks impossible and terrifying, and I'm going to put my faith and say, this is what God has said, and it looks completely opposite of what's going on. I'm going to put my faith to it. You know, trouble produces character in us. Anointing can bring you to the stage. God can pick anyone out that has never done anything good, and His anointing can fall on them, and they're able to do amazing things, but your character will keep you there. That is why we continue to grow. That is why we continue to come together. Character will keep us there. So we need the process. I need a process. And so do you. We all need a process. You know, I hope I'm not 40 years in the desert process. I don't want to do that process. I want to go around the mountain once and be like, yes, it's you, God. Honor and glory. Take me to my milk and honey. I'm getting out of the desert. But he'll let you stay. He'll let you go. You choose how long the process is of what you put your faith to. Let's pray.